0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the mind. The best love programs from radio's golden age. Only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we start with a visit with Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet as Reich Stout's fictional armchair detective. What a great character in Wolf that he dreamed up, a brilliant, oversized, eccentric armchair detective. Created in 1934, Wolf was born in Montenegro and keeps his past murky. He lives in a luxurious brownstone on West 35th Street in New York City and is loath to leave his home for business or anything that would keep him from reading his books, tending his orchids, or eating the gourmet meals prepared by his chef, Fritz Brenner. Archie Goodwin... Wolf's sharp-witted, dapper, young, confidential assistant, with an eye for attractive women, narrates the cases and does the legwork for the detective genius. Let's see what he gets up to tonight besides food in tonight's episode, Calculated Risk.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Mr. Wolf? Yeah, he's right here. Who's this? Archie, hang up. Don't ask questions. You, uh, you have a wife? Archie, it's past your bedtime. Well, I'm afraid, Mr. Wolfe, uh, it's past his bedtime.
3: Your bedtime.
2: It's a client,
3: boss. That's what I was afraid of. Foolish.
2: Hello? Hello? Well, why do you look so bewildered? He's coming right over. He says he's got a date. With murder. Oh.
4: The detective genius who rates the knife and fork the greatest tools ever invented by man. The
3: ponderous, brilliant, and unpredictable Nero Wolf. Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet.
2: story, the case of the calculated risk, was as strange and baffling as any Nero Wolf had to deal with. It started late one night when a big-shouldered man sporting a reddish beard and billing himself as Dave Caffrey pushed his way in, walked up to Nero Wolf's desk, and rocked him with this opener.
5: Tomorrow morning, Mr. Wolf, I'm going to kill a man. I
2: beg your pardon, sir? I'm going to kill a man with
5: these two hands.
3: I've been told strange things across this desk, Mr. Caffrey, This is the first time a murderer has confided his intention to me in advance. This man
5: used to be I'm not telling you his name. I'm not telling you where I'm going to meet him. The session tomorrow is going to be private and personal. But if anything happens to me between now and then, I want you to take over.
3: Mr. Gaffrey, do you seriously think I could assist you in a
5: matter of private vengeance? That's not what I'm asking. This guy deserves to die. I plan to kill him with these two hands. Me, myself. But if I slip up, he gets me first. I want you to see that justice is done.
3: And I assure you, I sir. I told you this
5: guy deserves to die. Let me tell you why. Years ago down south, you were three men in business together, partners. Me and two others. You know, Bugarchie, Mr. Gaffrey doesn't mind. You're wasting your time, Wolf. The names I'll use will be phony. I won't give you anything you can check back on.
3: We'll take our chance, sir.
5: Please proceed. Happened in a town about Forty miles from the place where we had our business. We'd gone there to collect some money. The three of us. Carl, Mitch, and me. Dave Caffrey. But all we collected was bad news. So bad that Carl hadn't even given our right names at the hotel. Said he was scared some of our creditors had come hitting up on us for what we owed. The three of us had had some drinks and we'd been pacing around for nearly an hour. I can still remember the way Mitch stood and looked at me. And then up at Carl... Carl suddenly pulled to a stop and came out with
4: this idea of his. So, Dave, we've got 6,000 cash on hand. You counted it, Mitch. But didn't we make it 6,240, Carl? Whichever. We've got this 6,000 out, plus some slow accounts receivable against debts of 38,000. With three of us trying to live from the business, we haven't got a chance. Well, we ain't got much of a one-call, but... It's hopeless, Dave. With two partners, though... Two partners? You reckon on pulling out, Carl? I say we cut cards for it, Mitch. Low man drops out. Break up the partnership? After sticking together all these years. Oh, wait a minute, Dave, wait a minute. Maybe Carl's right. Maybe this could work. Carl, you mean the low man drops out clean? Right now? Right now, Mitch. Other two to take over assets and debts and see if they can get this thing back in the black. Okay, Carl. Get the cards out. Dave? Well, that's what you guys want. Okay, then. Here's a new deck. Shuffle them, Mitch. All shuffled. Cut them, Dave. Go ahead, Mitch. You get first pick. Spread them if you like. Here goes. Star. Six. Your turn, Dave. Okay.
5: Nine o'clock.
4: Lucky guy, Dave. That puts you in uh, whatever Carl pulls. I'll pull it fast. There she is. Denise. Sorry, Mitch. That leaves you
5: elected. Well, Mitch, I'm sorry, too. I guess we all had a fair whack at it, but. uh... Hey,
4: wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me see that ace again, Carl. Easy, Mitch. I said I was sorry, Look, but Dave. The... Yeah, what is it, Mitch? All the aces are marked.
3: <laughs> Carl, I'm gonna cram this dick right down your cooking throat. Oh, I got Mitch! He's got a knife. Sure.
4: sure. Oh, Carl, you. All right. I've cut him for keeps. What do we
5: do now? What do we do? Look, Carl. I, I didn't mark those cards. I, I didn't
4: kill Mitch. And what's more, shut I... up, Dave. We're both in and out now. Come on, let's get out of here. Now what, Carl? Look, Dave, this is where we split up. Two men together, easy to trace. You head one way, I go the other. Yeah, but the dough, I, I got no money. Here, I'll split up the 6,000. This is your hand. Here, stick the envelope in your pocket. Now, grab that trace. Get set I'll catch the next one going the other way. Get going,
6: Dave.
5: That's how it was, Mr. Wolf. It all happened so fast that I...
3: Mm. This man you call Carl. <laughs> he seemed to be one of the world's choice creatures, Mr. Geffrey.
5: When I thought to look in that envelope he gave me, I found $40 and a few folds of wrapping paper in it. I was mad enough to... Well, I got off the freight and intended to go back, but... And i picked up a paper. And read
3: all about the murder of your friend Mitch with the statement that Carl had accused you of the crime and that the police believed him in view of your escape. That's it. Classical, but not at all original.
5: Well, I was young then and stupid. I'd had those drinks to start with. And you
3: spent the intervening years hunting down the man Carl, am I correct?
5: Yeah. I trapped the country from east to west, from north to south. Tramped it for years, searching for him. Yesterday, I located him. He's a big wheel these days up on that 37th floor of his. But tomorrow, when I get... Yes, to... Mr. Caffrey,
3: the 37th floor
5: of...
2: Never mind what building. Now, wait a minute, Caffrey. If you expect Mr. Wolfe to help you... I he'll... don't want him to help me. I'll help myself.
5: But if I slip up, I know Wolf's reputation well enough to know that... he'll never rest till this, this rotten, chiseling murderer is sitting in the chair. That's why I've come here. Just to provide a backstop in case my dear friend of long ago manages to get the best of me. How will we know? You see this envelope? Read what it says.
3: Nero Wolf 601 West 35th Street, New York. Delivered to him in
5: case of my death. That's right. And this envelope is $500. Nearly all I've got in the world. Along with it, the full details on that knife. Real names, dates. The proof you'll need in case I don't finish it up. Go on. Tonight, Mr. Wolfe, I'm going to give this envelope to the manager of the hotel where I'm stopping. I'm calling on, well, Carl. Tomorrow at noon, right after his secretary goes to lunch. If I'm not back in my hotel at one o'clock tomorrow afternoon, the hotel manager will deliver this envelope to you. Is that clear? Perfectly. But
3: you don't think I'm going to allow you to go through with this wire planter? You can't stop me.
5: And don't have Goodwin follow me. I'd lose him in two blocks. Good night.
2: Shall I try to tail him, boss?
3: It's no use, Archie. Get Inspector Kramer on the phone at once. I want the police to help us head off this murder. Nero Wolf speaking It's Archie, I'm
2: calling from the morgue And? They found Capri's body in a subway washroom Mugged and stabbed Wallet gone, pockets
3: cleaned out, no envelope Just two hours ago he was here No envelope, eh? Gone Witnesses?
2: None so far Homicide's calling it straight mugging and robbery
3: As it well might look, except for... Except
2: for a guy named Carl. How much do I tell
3: Kramer? All of it. Ask the inspector to start queries throughout the South on the original killing.
6: The original killing?
3: Look... It's our best chance of getting a description of the man called Carl. The original killing and the partnership. Starting from, say, eight years ago and working back to the middle 20s. Tell him to concentrate on towns and railway lines. Putting out pictures of Caffrey and... Pictures and dentistry. Fingerprints to Washington. Kramer will know. And if I come across a haystack, do I keep my eye out for needles? We're going to find Carl, Archie. We're going to find him if he takes him now till a doomsday.
2: Mr Wolf, let's face it, we're licked. Licked, Archie? Three days now. We found Caffrey's hotel here in New York. No traceable phone calls. Not a witness has turned up on that subway washroom party. And Kramer says he's getting nowhere with those answers from the Southland.
3: The original story is bound to come slowly, Archie. We are asking a check on the unsolved killings of a dozen states over a 20-year period.
2: Mm. Then what now? You start trudging, Archie. Trudging?
3: Through office buildings. Through 37 floors of many office
2: buildings. You keep trudging till we find him. Oh, now, wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. This is a big city, Remember? I might have to go through hundreds of buildings.
3: This morning, Archie, the Municipal Reference Library informed me that there are exactly 34 buildings of 37 floors or higher in Manhattan. Now, when you rule out the United Nations building, hotels...
2: Okay, okay. Maybe not so many 37 floors, but lots of offices per floor. Maybe 40 or 50. Call it 30 times 40 and you've still got uh, uh, 1,200 to start with. And you don't know what kind of business, you don't know what Carl's real name is, you don't even know what he looks like. There could be 4,000 men like him. 4,000 affluent men, aren't you? Yeah, well, all right. (laughs) Caffrey said he was in the chips, though. You know, for a guy who'd been bumming around, that could mean anything from 10 grand a year up. Wait a minute, that cuts your field to 1,000. 1,000 tall men? Tall? I've been over those notes. Caffrey didn't say he was tall.
3: As plainly as you could ask. Caffrey was almost your height, but he said Mitch stood and looked at me.
2: And then he looked up at Carl. Up, Archie. That makes Carl your height or taller. Well, maybe Caffrey and Mitch were sitting down and Carl was... uh...
3: Caffrey told us the three were standing at the time. Check your notes. I've studied them.
2: Okay. Maybe that does cut it down some. Yeah, it's still a lot of citizens that start checking for a southern accent.
3: Don't rely on accent, Archie. Carl has had many years to lose any accent he might have had.
2: Yeah, that's true.
3: And so we narrow it, Archie. A man almost surely tall. A man not using the name he was born with. A man with an unexplained gap in his past.
2: I ought to be able to reach right out and tap him. You go skeptical again, Archie. Well, it's still a pretty big haystack.
3: Let's see if we can't trim it some more. On these building lists I've been going over, I've ruled out for now the members of professions requiring lengthy formal training. Medical men, lawyers, scientists of most kinds.
2: Yeah, that's chopping it down, I'll admit that.
3: I'll have further eliminations as we get into it. And I'm putting soil pans on a second list this afternoon. Some of the credit references I'll handle by phone. So I start trudging, huh? You start trudging. And remember, Archie, since you'll probably be operating through secretaries... ...you're looking for a murderer named Carl... ...not for a new set of telephone numbers to brighten your winter.
7: Tall? Well, I don't know what you're peddling, Goodwin... ...but if my boss put his elevator shoes on and stood on a box he'd still be down somewhere around my necktie. If he stood on his money, though, we'd need a helicopter to get up near his
8: shoelaces.
2: Oh, Miss Tunis, do you mind if I sit down?
8: Why, of course not, Mr. Goodwin.
2: Oh, thanks. You know, I've been in 12 offices on this floor, and you're the first girl who's seen the importance of this survey first crack out of the box. (laughs) Uh,
8: Well, I'm sort of new here, and and I try to pay attention. Oh,
2: you're not just beautiful. You've got a head on you. Is Mr. McLean in?
8: Well, he's at lunch right now.
2: Lunch? Oh, that reminds me. Know any good restaurants up this way?
8: Well, I was just going to the downstairs drugstore myself, but I wouldn't say Oh, Well,
2: come on, put your bonnet on and let's skip the drugstore. (laughs) This meal is on the Executive Resources Survey. the boil down?
3: Tinsley, McLean, Fernandez, Tesro, and Kaplan. All five of them tall, all five a little misty in the background.
2: You and Saul have
3: done well, Archie. Very well. But I'm crossing off Fernandez and Kaplan. Why? The credit bureau report clears Fernandez, and Kaplan was on a special war job.
2: The FBI x-rayed his record twice. Leaving J.P. Tinsley, Carson McLean, and Philip Tesro. huh?
3: I'd like to see all three here, Archie. Get them here one way or another. And so you do admit that Tinsley isn't your real name? Mr. Wolfe, are you a blackmailer or what? I'm a licensed private investigator, sir. Any disclosure you make will be kept in confidence, provided it doesn't touch on the case I'm engaged in. You haven't said what the case is. I don't intend to. If you prefer to explain this mysterious gap in your background at the district attorney's office... Well, I'm using the name Tinsley because I've got an undivorced first wife out on the coast. We broke up 20 years ago, but uh, she said she'd see to it that I never married again. And she knew
9: where
4: I was today. Well, I I don't say I'm a saint, but uh, she's a vindictive woman.
3: I see. May I have names, dates, and places starting
6: 1924?
4: I can't quite understand your interest, Mr. Wolf. It's
3: rather complicated, to put it briefly, Mr. McLean. I'm working in the interest of a client. Our people have found this puzzling gap in your background... and I'd appreciate such clarification as you may be able to supply.
4: But I told you, Mr. Goodwin, I was raised and educated in the Orient. Until 32, I was in business with my father in China.
3: where you say your father died?
4: Died. With the Depression, I returned to New York... started this importing business in a small way... weathered through the early 30s... and I think my bankers can assure you of my standing today. They've done so... Carson McLean and Company has an excellent credit rating. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. To switch
3: somewhat abruptly, Mr. McLean, would you happen to remember how you spent the evening of the 19th?
4: Of this month? Of this month. Well, I could hardly... Wait. You say the 19th. Would that have been on a Tuesday? Yes, it was Tuesday. That simplifies it. I'm nearly always at the office on Tuesday nights dictating the revisions in our weekly wholesalers' lists. Let me see. Yes, I was there on the 19th, at a tray center. Miss Tunis and I worked till just after midnight. Miss Helen Tunis, the secretary Mr. Goodwin spoke of. She's been with me for two or three months. Miss
3: Tunis can confirm this dictation on the night of the 19th?
4: Of course. and Mr. Wolfe, your manner is so persuasive that I'd scarcely realize you're asking some extraordinary searching questions. May I ask, why in the world you... If you'll indulge me,
3: Mr. McLean, my prying is nearly concluded. You say you were in China until
6: 1932.
3: (music) Mr. Tesro. I'll be brutally frank. We know that your name is not Tesro, And we know that you served a prison term from 34 to 38 for arson. I'd like some straight answers. I didn't say I wouldn't answer your questions. The pass can remain your own provided. Look, Mr.
7: Wolf, I've been going straight for 12 years. And this business of mine is on the level. Now, if this is a shakedown...
3: I'm asking where you were on the night of the 19th. And I'm
2: telling you I stayed in town. I ate alone. And I went to a movie. I caught the 1135 for Stanford. And that's all there is to it.
3: You're denying that you were ever in business in the South? I was born in the South, but I haven't been back there since I was a kid. What about the arson... I put in four years squaring for that mistake. Let's start again, Mr. Tessero. You say you were in Cincinnati in 1931.
2: Okay, Mr. Wolf. three candidates and we're still on the one-yard line. Our one-yard line. Tessero, McLean, Tinsley. No, no, rule out McLean. He gave references enough for those years in China... And with Helen Tunis, he's got the one firm alibi we've laid on to. Caffery was killed before midnight. With conditions as they are in the Far East, Archie,
3: it'll be weeks before cables came back on McLean's claims. Uh,
2: claims? You figure the whole Chinese background's a fake?
3: I want you to see Miss Tunis again, Archie, taking all precautions for her safety. And this is one time I give you permission to ply her with all the attentions you can contrive.
2: <laughs> Are we far enough to pull tails on any of these three? I've got Saul
3: Panzer on Tesro, And Saul promised to have men on Tinsley and McLean. Pictures of the three have gone to Kramer for circulation in the south.
2: Oh, no answer yet from the coast on Tinsley, huh?
3: Not yet. For the moment, Archie, you'll concentrate
5: on Helen Tunis.
2: Helen, I've got to see you tonight.
1: I'd
8: love to, Archie, Now, look, but... Helen, I
2: phoned you to come out in the corridor this way because I didn't want McLean to know we're talking. Do you still say you got that new mink coat on your own money?
8: Mr. Goodwin, I don't know what right you Helen, have Helen, to... get
2: five guys to buy your stuff, it's your business, Mr. But... McLean
8: said his wife might be sent around. But you can go right back to your old Mrs. McLean and tell easy, her that I...
2: Helen, easy.
8: He was dictating to me. You
2: know, baby, the harder you lie, the prettier you look. <laughs> but if this is a fake alibi and if you keep propping it up, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Bad trouble. Now, how about it? Do I see you at your apartment tonight, or would you rather come down with me to Nero Wolfe's right now?
8: Archie, I... All right, I can't go with you now, and I've got a dinner date with my aunt tonight that I can't break, but I'll try to be back at my apartment by 11.
3: Archie! Yeah, Wolf's being, This is Archie,
2: Mr. Wolf. I'm at Helen Ternus' apartment.
3: Well?
2: I could cut my throat for not making a come with me this afternoon. Trouble? Not for her anymore, poor kid. I got here three minutes ago and found her strangled. Couldn't have happened more than half an hour ago.
3: McLean.
2: McLean. Didn't Salt Panzer say he was getting a tail on him?
3: He was a new man and he lost him. I should have left you on McLean, Archie.
2: Yeah, we were both wrong. What do you want me to do?
3: Phone the police immediately.
2: This is 32nd Street. I'm only three blocks in a job from the office.
4: What if I come back and call from there?
3: Come back then. I'll phone Kramer myself.
2: Mr. Wolf, I'm still kicking myself for that.
4: Look out, Archie. you late, Mr. Wolf. Keep coming right in, Goodwin. With your hands up. No, I wouldn't try that. McLean. And keep your hand out of that desk drawer, Wolf.
3: This time you're too late, McLean.
4: My hand's
3: in the drawer, and I think I'll leave it there. You don't think I'd shoot? I'm sure you would. But you've got two of us to cover now. No, Archie, don't try to draw
2: yet. How'd you get in here, McLean?
3: He surprised me after making his way in through the area way below. And, of course, it had to be Fritz's night out.
4: I caught your fat friend just two seconds before he could get in his call to the police, Goodwin. I overheard his talk with you from the hallway here.
3: My apologies for not crying out sooner, Archie.
4: Get your hand out of that drawer. Pull it out without the gun, Wolf, or I'll let you have it now.
3: I refuse to, McLean.
4: Seems obvious that you mean to kill us in any case. I'm afraid that's true, Wolf. When you called me here and Goodwin started making dates with Helen Tunis... Poor kid, I told her not to talk to you. She didn't, Goodwin. I've been scared of you and Wolf since I followed Colby here that first night. Colby? You knew him as Caffrey. I caught up with him afterward in that subway washroom. No? Keep that hand up and watch that gun of yours, Wolf. I found that envelope on him and read the letter to you contained in it. I knew we hadn't spilled the whole South Carolina story to you.
3: South Carolina? Would the original knifing have been taking place anywhere near Hampton or
4: Jasper Countess? Hampton County. But our business is over the line in Georgia. Doesn't matter now.
3: Uh, Pity, Archie. We learned this afternoon that we were growing warm on South Carolina. Mr. McLean, may I ask what you hope to achieve by this insane project of disposing of Mr. Goodwin and myself?
4: And buying time, Wolf. I have 90,000 in small bills in that bag there, plus a plane ticket to Buenos Aires. I've got a silencer on this gun. If you two aren't found till tomorrow morning, I'll be out of the country before they start looking for me.
3: You don't think the police will put out an alarm for you when they
4: find the body of Helen Tunis? Goodwin left it to you to report that. Remember?
3: Let's remind ourselves to be prompter on reporting deaths, Archie.
2: Starting with our own, Mr. Wolfe? Glad
4: you can take it that way, Goodwin. You actually think you can knock the two of us off? I'm about to find out, Goodwin.
2: One moment, McLean. You've
3: never been a real gambler. You know that. With marked cards, of course. But you're not the man to face a sure loss now. A sure loss? The loss of your life. Within seconds after you try to pull that trigger.
4: I told you I had a silencer. You think anyone will hear the shots?
3: There'll be more shots than you count on. My hand's on a pistol now in this drawer, and Mr. Goodwin has a thirty-eight
4: in his shoulder holster. You can't shoot through the desk, and Goodwin won't get a chance to draw.
3: You're an intelligent man, McLean. Vicious, but intelligent. May I describe the certainty of your immediate death if you don't throw that pistol on the desk and give yourself up?
4: There are two of you, I know that, but...
3: McLean, you must be aware that in the actual fact, exceedingly few men are killed instantly by a single shot, even from a pistol of heavy caliber.
2: The one you hold is a thirty-two, And it's a forty-five in that draw, McLean.
3: I assure you, McLean, that neither of us will surrender the weapons we have should you start shooting. We will both do our best to draw and keep firing till you're dead.
4: You're stalling, Wolf. What have I got to lose by trying for you both now?
3: Your life? I'll correct that. The loss of some six or eight weeks of your life, possibly months. Whatever the time necessary to bring you to trial and to convict you and execute you for the murders you've committed.
4: Suppose I cancel you off and then take my chances with Goodwin.
3: A better choice, but still a dubious one. I am fat, exceedingly fat and for perhaps the first time in my life, I'm thoroughly grateful for
2: that. My bulk affects the calculation, McLean. McLean, you could pull off all seven shots and still not hit Mr. Wolf where it counts. You have to start. You better start on me.
3: You exaggerate, Archie, and I thank you for the gallantry of it. No, it's quite likely that with two or three shots, McLean might well dispose of me, but not uh, with your
4: first shot, McLean, and we will not permit you many more than your first. Look, if I promise to do no more than tie you two up, to give me my head start. Will you toss in your guns? Of course not. Do I speak for us both, Archie? Check. I say let's start it now. Wolf, if I give you half of what's in that bag, would you forget these admissions I've made and help on my defense?
3: I've told you I refuse to bargain. I think that I shall count five. If your weapon hasn't been tossed on the desk by then, I'll do my best to get my pistol into action.
4: Are you in accord, Archie? Start counting. Wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. One. If I trade half that bag for no shooting and one hour start, no tying up, just your promise that... Two. All the bag for a half hour start. Ninety thousand. Three. Are you
2: ready, Archie? All set, sir. Uh, except if you're the one who walks out of this, call up every number in my little red book, huh? And tell each girl I was thinking of her just before you got the five.
3: Agreed. i resume four.
2: Okay. you win. Holy sweet Susan. It worked. It worked.
3: A commendable choice, McLean, for us at least. You see, I'm afraid I forgot to mention one slight factor which might have operated in your favor.
2: What's that, boss?
3: I must confess, Archie, that my 45 is in the upstairs den where I took it to oil
2: it last night. Holy cow, you didn't have a gun? Why, you dirty. Take it easy, I... McLean. I've really got one. Oh, by the way, Mr. Wolf. Signals off on those women. Huh? When my heart gets back down out of my throat, I'll call him myself.
3: I'll trouble you for a beer first, Archie. And then, if you'll be good enough to phone Inspector Kramer, you can bid him pick up his triple murderer the one time cutter of cards. Fortunately for us. Who's never been a real gambler.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. <laughs> Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Gerald Moore as Archie Goodwin and Lorraine Carter, Bill Johnstone, Howard McNear, Herb Butterfield, and Vic Rodman. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you
1: The Case of the Phantom Fingers. Don Stanley speaking. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for My Friend Irma.
9: Lieber Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super creamed blend presents.
8: Our friend Swan with My Friend Irma.
9: Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship.
10: When other friendships have been forgotten, theirs will still be hot.
8: Explanation for everything. But I don't think that goes where Irma Peterson is concerned. (laughs) Why do I say that? Well, a few minutes ago I told Irma that in the Arctic Circle the nights are six months long. And Irma said, Gee, when a girl goes to a dance, her mother must say, Be a good girl and try to get home before July. Those things uh, jolt me, but tonight I'm too busy addressing a stack of envelopes to Richard to waste any time trying to straighten Irma out. Jane, who are you writing to? No one we know, honey. You see, Richard is greatly interested in the primary elections, and he's coming here with a stack of election circulars he wants me to mail. Circulars? Yeah, you know, there's a picture of the man, and underneath it is a description of what he's done. Oh, I know, like those pictures of Al's friends that are hanging in the post office. (laughs) No, no, this is a different kind of circular. You see, these men hold offices. They don't hold them up. (laughs) Come in.
11: Well, here they are, Jane. Hello, Irma.
8: Hello, Richard. I'll take the circulars, Richard.
11: Gee, I've never seen you so excited. Well, this is exciting and important work we're doing. If, If we can get the voters behind the reform ticket and elect our man, Robert Colby, this district will at long last be represented by an honest man in council.
8: Richard, is there any way I can help?
11: Yes, yes, you can vote.
8: No, I can't. Those voting machines always get me so confused. Well, honey, what's there to be confused about? All you do is press down a lever. Yes, but I don't know where to put the nickel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll explain it to you later, Irma. Richard, is there anything else I can do for
11: you? Uh, No, no, just get the circulars out. I'm going down to headquarters and keep things moving. Oh, and uh, keep spreading the word around. Colby for councilman.
8: All right, Richard, see you later. Jane. What, sweetie? Isn't there any way I can help in the election? No, honey. Electioneering is important work. It takes the toil of endless hours. Well, that's why I want to help. What good is woman suffrage if I don't get a chance to suffer?
6: <laughs>
8: get it, will you, honey? I'm busy. Hello? Who is this? Joe? No, Joe. Al isn't here yet. Huh? You have a job for him. Oh, Joe, you're early. April Fool is ten days off. (laughs) Oh, you're serious? Well, I'll tell him to call you. Goodbye. What do you think, Jane? Joe has a job for Al. How do you like that? His best friend turning on him after all these years. (laughs) Jane, uh, can I just fold the circulars for you? I want to do something. Oh, honey, I don't want you to feel hurt, but I haven't got too much confidence in you ever since your cousin brought those campfire girls up here to hold a meeting. Well, I thought that a log fire would make them feel at home. Yes, honey, but we have no fireplace. (laughs) Well, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, I know, Irma, but you don't use judgment. Now, honey, look at your shoes. You paid $12 for a pair of $5 shoes. Why don't you shop around? In the future, I will. Look, honey, if you really want to help me, you can run down to the post office and get me a hundred three cent stamp. All right, Jane, and don't worry, I won't buy at the first post office I see. <laughs> I'm going to shop around. Oh, right. come in.
4: It's only me, Professor Kropotkin.
8: <laughs> Hello,
4: Jamie and Irma, my two little cottages—one with a clinging vine, one with an empty attic. <laughs> A man like you should have been a comedian.
10: (laughs) Janie, darling, could I borrow, please, your dark glasses?
8: Surely, why?
10: Well, if
3: you'll excuse the expression, I'm taking Mrs. O'Reilly out
8: tonight. (laughs) Oh, now, Professor, don't try to kid us. We know you're falling more in love with her every day.
3: Janie, when a man courts his landlady, this is not love. This is known as taking the bull by the horn.
8: (laughs) Aren't That's the way Miss O'Reilly combs her hair. Oh, hold it, will you, the two of you? I've got to get these circulars out for Richard. Irma, will you please hurry to the post office? All right, Jane. Now, honey, you know what to get? Yes, a $3 stamp. No, no, <laughs> no, no, a uh, hundred three cent stamps. Now, here, I'll write it down, sweetie. And don't shop around, please. Goodbye.
3: Jamie, what's all this correspondence here?
8: Oh, this. Well, Richard and the Reform Party are trying to get Robert Colby elected in the primary so we can get good, honest representative and throw honest Jim Blake right out of office.
7: That I'm for.
3: That honest Jim is such a crook, when he's campaigning, he couldn't kiss a baby without stealing the diaper pin.
8: (laughs) Well, that's why we're all working so hard to get Colby in office. You know, Professor, you could help. You tell all the customers at the Gypsy Tea Room to vote for Colby for honest government. Well, I'll tell
3: them, Jenny, but I don't think it's going to help. Why not? After they eat at the Gypsy Tea Room, they are not thinking of good government. They are more interested in a good doctor.
6: (laughs) Tell me, Jenny, is
3: Irma helping you elect Colby? No. Then he's got the
4: chance.
8: Yeah. (laughs) Why, he's got to win. An honest Jim must go. Professor, how about wearing a Colby for consummate pin? Oh, I'd be glad to. Here, here you are. Oh. oh. no, Professor, not on your trousers. On your jacket.
3: Please, Janie, I know where the pin is needed the most.
8: But <laughs> <laughs> well, you can count
6: on me. Goodbye.
8: Bye. Oh, honestly, I'll never get these circulars out, never. Hello? Who? Oh, Joe. No, Al isn't here yet. Well, you know Monday is his busy day. That's when he stands outside of the Yankee Stadium and waits for balls to come over the fence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll have him called you, Joe. Come in.
7: Hi, Jane. Where's Chicken?
8: Oh, she went on an errand for me, Al. You know, your friend Joe has been calling like mad all day trying to get you.
7: <laughs> that guy's uncanny. But he ain't cutting in on this deal. It's my own idea. It's a birth certificate with an adjustable calendar. For dames who are getting old.
8: <laughs> Al, will you believe me? I'm not interested. And I'd appreciate it if you'd call Joe before he wears out the phone. Burma comes back. I'm downstairs getting some ink from Mrs. O'Reilly. Tell her, huh? Hmm.
7: Dynamic thing. Must be a thyroid condition. <laughs> well, while she's gone, must make that telephone call. And there's only one man to call. Who else but... Hello, Joe. How? <laughs> what is your problem? A job for me? Joe, what did I ever do to Major Saw?
6: <laughs> no
7: kidding. You mean I get 5000 a year? Joe, it sounds too good to be honest. <laughs> oh, it ain't honest. It's a political job.
6: <laughs>
7: well, Joe, what sort of work do I do? You see, I couldn't take the taxpayers' money for nothing. I'll have an important duty to perform. I keep whales out of Central Park Lake. (laughs) Joe, there ain't no whales in Central Park Lake. Oh, in an election year, you never ask questions. So what do I do to get the job, Joe? Uh Uh-huh. 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 (laughs) Uh-huh. I'd be glad to campaign for him. He's a good man. You can count on me. Goodbye, Joe. Oh,
8: hello, Al, honey.
7: Well, what's the matter, Chicken? Why so glum?
8: I bought these stamps for Jane Chicken, and... you
7: got the stamps all pasted on a cardboard.
8: <laughs> well, the wind was blowing, I was afraid I'd lose them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gee, I don't know why Jane has no confidence in me.
7: Forget it, Chicken. Golden days are ahead. Before you know it, little Al will be making $5,000 a year.
8: Oh, Al, they will catch you and destroy your printing press. <laughs>
7: Oh, Chicken, you know I wouldn't be a counterfeiter. This is legitimate. we got to help elect the one man who can give us clean, decent government.
8: Who, Al? Well,
7: Honest Jim Blake.
8: Oh, but Al, Jane and Richard are campaigning for Robert Colby. They say Jim Blake is a crook. Chicken,
7: it ain't exactly being
8: crooked. You see, politicians
7: figure they got to get what they can while they're in office because the public forgets them so quickly. You take President Hoover, in office four years, and what's his reward? Got his name on a vacuum cleaner.
6: <laughs> and, and
7: Adams got his name on a hat. Lincoln is on a penny, and Wilson is on a ham. So it's enough to frustrate an honest man.
8: Oh, but but the papers say Jim Blake is the most dishonest man that was ever in office.
7: Just propaganda, chicken Look at the things he's done for the city. Take that that beautiful highway he built last year.
8: But it cracked in two weeks.
7: Well, Jim couldn't help that. Strong weeds. <laughs>
8: How about that bridge he built? Where it fell down in three days. Well, honest
7: Jim couldn't help it if the rain dissolved the cement.
8: <laughs>
7: Besides, honey, you're looking at the bad side of him. Look at the good he's done. Built his wife a beautiful home, gave her a mink coat, <laughs> gave his brother a pardon.
8: There's
7: a man with a heart. <laughs>
8: Gee, Earl, I, I don't know what to do. I, gosh, I hate to work against Jane. Chicken,
7: place this thing realistic. I love you. And with five Gs a year coming in, we can get married. And there'll be no more of those long hours going to work every day. You can get a part-time job.
8: (laughs) You'd really marry me, Al?
7: Why, sure, I'd marry you, chicken. You think I like sleeping on park benches every day until four in the afternoon? I want to have a home to do that in.
8: (laughs) Well, I, I don't know what to say. Do, do you think Jane will be angry with me if I help you?
7: Well, Chicken, you know Jane has no confidence in you.
8: Well, that's true. She has lost a little confidence in me. Ever since I mixed the brown and white shoe polish together for my sports shoes. <laughs> well,
7: what do you say, Chicken? Will you help me with Honest Jim's campaign?
8: All right, I'll, I'll I'll do it because I know it means you'll marry me. and It'll show Jane I'm smart enough to mix in politics, too.
7: That's the spirit, Chicken. But remember, we don't let Jane know that we're working for the opposition. If they want to work for Colby, okay. We're for Blake.
8: All right, Al. Gee, I'm so excited about you and politics. Who knows? Someday you may be governor and I'll be your wife.
7: Never can tell, chicken.
8: Imagine me, a governess. (laughs) for Robert Colby is just going wonderfully. I never knew life could be so hectic, but I love it. Richard and I have been working day and night, but we're too thrilled to be tired. We're going to put an honest man in office and nothing is going to stop us. In fact, we're at a big rally now singing our campaign song. Vote
6: for Colby, vote for Colby, he will never fail.
11: I'm sure that we'll elect Colby. Sure. Hello, Janey.
8: Oh, Richard. Professor, I'm so glad you could come to the rally. Uh,
7: Mrs. O'Reilly stood me up. She said I insulted her.
3: Why? She wanted to go to a horse show. I told her she wouldn't have a chance.
8: <laughs> oh, take ain't this some rally?
7: Boy, if Jane and Richard could only see us now, they'd know they'll lick.
8: Al, I've been doing a lot of good work. Al, yeah, what do you mean, chicken? Well, I think Honest Jim has been wasting his time. He's kissing all the babies, but they can't vote. What about it? I've been kissing your fathers. <laughs> chicken, you
7: don't have to overdo it. Uh, by the way, did you get rid of all those circulars I gave you?
8: Yeah. Good, good. And Where I got rid of them, no one will ever find them.
7: Chicken, I meant to give them out, not hide them.
8: Oh, Al, isn't there anything more I can do? No,
7: no, Chicken. Don't want you to overwork your little mind.
8: Oh, I haven't been overworking it, honey. I I hardly know it's there.
7: (laughs) Well, Chicken, that's enough for today. You go home and don't forget, tell all your friends to vote for Blake.
8: All right, Al. Gee, I can't wait until you get the job and we get married. My my hope chest is all ready. I just put in six baseballs, three tennis rackets, and a pair of skis.
7: What's the idea, Chick?
8: Well, I read in a book that a wife should be a good sport. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, honey. Where have you been? Oh places. Places? What are you doing with that Jim Blake pin? Irma, you're not electioneering for that crook. Well, Al says he's not so bad, and and if he's elected, Al will get a job, and Al promised to marry me. Sweetie, if I bought a box of rice every time Al promised to marry you, the Chinese wouldn't have anything left to eat. (laughs) Gina, I love Al, and I I want to get married. I want children, a home, and a place to put all those statues I want at Coney Island. (laughs) I know you do, Honey. But but would it bother your conscience to wake up every morning and say, Irma Peterson, you're a bad citizen? I suppose so, but it'll bother me more to wake up every night and say, Irma Peterson, you're an old maid. <laughs> well, honey, it's your life, and since I know honest Jim doesn't have a chance, you can do what you want. Oh, thanks, Jane. I I want to practice what I'm going to say to the girls at the office tomorrow. <laughs> Well, there stands Irma in front of the mirror. And it's a sight that would make Patrick Henry turn over in his grave. She's evidently practicing the gestures that she's going to make in her speech. But such gestures I have never seen. Now she's shaking her fist. Now she's waving her arms in defiance. She's evidently scored her point. She's also knocked the clock off the mantle. <laughs> now she's shaking her finger and she's pointing to her head This can only mean that Blake is solid <laughs> Now she's taking the Manhattan telephone directory And she's holding it over her head with all her strength Irma Honey, what's the idea of that? Well, I want to show him that Blake will carry New York Oh, you're... <laughs> <New> York. <laughs> Come in Hello, Jane Richard? What's the matter? Your face is white as a sheet.
11: Jane, I'm afraid that all of our work has been in vain. Look at this headline.
8: What's it about, Richard? I'm too nervous to read it.
11: Well, honest Jim Blake and his machine have dug up a scandal about Colby that'll cost us every woman's vote.
8: What was it?
11: They claim that 18 years ago he struck his wife. And on Mother's Day. Oh, no, it can't be true. No, it isn't. It was just an unfortunate accident. He just happened to trip with a hammer in his hand.
8: <laughs> yes,
11: but Blake has distorted the story. Oh,
8: Richard, what can we do? Well, I
11: understand that Blake is addressing the heads of all the women's clubs at Sloan's Hall tonight. Now, we have to go there with Colby so he can prove his innocence.
8: Yeah, all right, Richard, but I'd, I'd like to inform you that we have a Benedict Arnold in our midst. Oh, he won't help you, Jane. We've got important people, too.
6: Jane, <laughs> Jane
11: you mean that Irma is campaigning for that thief, Blake? Y- yes, I, I am. Well, I'm surprised at you. Come on, Jane. Goodbye, Irma.
8: Goodbye, Irma. Oh, Jane, Blake. Oh,
6: Jim
7: Blake, square I oh, God, you oh, Come in. What's the matter,
8: Chicken? Richard and Jane are mad at me because I'm trying to help Jim Blake. Gosh, are you sure he's honest?
7: I already told you, Chicken.
8: Are you sure you'll marry me if I help him win?
7: Am I Sure. Chicken, I already told three of the boys to stay out of trouble because I might need them for rushes.
8: All right, Al.
7: And, Chicken, tonight's the night you can really help the campaign. You see, Honest Jim is going to address the women's club at Sloan's Hall tonight.
8: Well, that's where Jim and Richard are going. Oh,
7: we'll make monkeys out of them. Now, the chief wants you to cop out of the audience like you wasn't rehearsed and testify that Honest Jim is the lady's friend. We've got to swing the women's vote.
8: But, Al, why did they pick on me?
7: Chicken, there's more chance of you saying the right thing you don't know him.
8: I mean, uh, <laughs>
6: they,
7: they, they, they don't want anybody too professional-looking. They want somebody with charm and, and personality and what the French call c'est la guerre.
8: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Al. I'll do it if only for our children's sake. <laughs> yeah. Every time I see children, I get goose pimples. <sighs> Of course, you wouldn't understand. You'll never know what it is to be a mother.
7: Well, chicken, now you've got the right spirit, and it'll teach Jane not to underestimate us.
8: That's right. She wouldn't let me on her bandwagon. Well, before I'm through, even my friends will want to take me for a ride.
7: Well, chicken, this is Sloan's Hall. Now, when we get inside, it's up to you to help swing the women's vote for Honest Jim.
8: But, Al, when they call me up from the audience, what should I say? Well, just say that
7: uh, you don't know Honest Jim personally, but people say he will undertake everything that good government stands for.
8: Undertake everything uh, good government stands for? Well, that's easy. I'll remember that, Al. (laughs) Well, Chicken.
7: And remember, my job, our whole future together depends on this. Let's go inside. Hey, Chicken, look. Richard's about to speak.
8: Richard and Jane are for Colby, and we're for Blake. I feel like that Japanese spy Harry Carey.
11: Shh. Richard's going to speak. Ladies of the Metropolitan District, as you know, Honest Jim Blake has cooked up a smear campaign to besmirch the good name of our candidate, Robert Colby. And I think it is only fair that you hear the true story from his own lips. And here he is. The Honorable Robert Colby. Ladies. Ladies. ladies, Please.
10: Listen to me.
4: Please.
8: Let let, let the man have a chance. Richard. Richard, they won't even let him speak.
11: That's Jim Blake's doing. He's got his co-workers out there to influence the other women. Oh,
8: Richard, you mean we have no chance? No,
11: nothing could win the election now. Nothing. Oh,
8: look at that pompous crook, Honest Jim Blake. (laughs) (laughs) And he's getting up on the platform. Look how cocky he is, Richard. You all
10: know me, Honest Jim Blake. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, lovely ladies, mothers, sisters, aunts, nieces. In fact, all of this lovely feminine palker It has been contended by my opposition that I am a thief. They will tell you I stole $1,842,000 from the taxpayers. I tell you, ladies, and I give you my solemn word. Those figures are incorrect. (laughs) My opponents also contend that I secured my office through acts of violence. This is not true. And my former opponent would personally deny that if he were alive today. (laughs) But why should I ask you to take my word? Surely somewhere in the audience is someone who does not know me, yet knows the good that I've done.
3: Get ready, chicken. That's you. Step
10: forward.
8: Anyone at all?
10: Ah, here's a charming young lady. Who are you, young lady?
8: I'm anybody at all.
10: Uh, (laughs) fine, fine. (laughs) You don't know me, young lady, do you?
8: No, I just know the fellow that works for you.
10: (laughs) Mere coincidence. Now, uh, will you tell these wonderful ladies what you think of me?
8: Uh, Well, let me remember. Oh, I know. Uh, Ladies, I don't know Honest Jim personally, but I know he will take everything the government will stand for. (laughs) Uh, uh,
10: I'm sure this young lady is, is just a little nervous.
8: Yes, and I can't understand it. I was rehearsed so well. Come on, chicken, run. But, but Al, what about your $5,000? You'll need that for flowers. trying to gather my senses, all I remember of the women's meeting was that it ended with Honest Jim chasing Irma and Al down the aisle with a fire axe. <laughs> this evidently convinced the women voters that Honest Jim wasn't exactly the fatherly type, for they have elected Robert Colby to consul almost unanimously. Now Irma thinks that she's America's foremost election authority. In fact, last night I said, Irma, See where they're talking about making MacArthur president. And Irma said, Oh, I don't think so. Edgar Bergen would never let him go.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
8: you know, if Bergen ever needs another dummy, he can borrow my friend Irma. <laughs> I noticed Irma doing something very strange, even for her. And I said, honey, why are you putting those watercolors on top of the swan soap? And Irma said, well, Jane, I thought maybe the swan might want to color some of her eggs for Easter.
9: (laughs) Oh, Irma, (laughs) always being thoughtful about your swan soap. Well, that follows. Swan does a lot for you, too. Like the wonderful skin care you get. The wonderful pleasure you get when you make your bath a swan bath. You see, ladies, swan alone has that exclusive super creamed blend. Why, even the way a cake of swan feels tells you that it differs from other soaps. Swan has an extra smoothness you can actually feel in the cake itself. You can feel a difference in the lather, too. Swan's lather feels richer and creamier. And after a swan bath, your skin feels different. Because thanks to Swan's exclusive super cream blend, that Swan lather rinses away so completely, your skin fairly glows with freshness and life. Looks softer, smoother, younger. No wonder the Swan look is a young look. My Friend Irma presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Folks, next Monday evening, listen again to
8: Our Friend Swan with my friend, Irma.
9: Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Ladies, listen. The shortage of fats and oils is still very serious and it's worldwide. So please keep on saving every drop of used kitchen fat. Your butcher will pay you for every pound. Frank Bingman speaking. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater, immediately followed by My Friend Irma. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Lights Out, followed by Father Knows Best,